Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Government funding. President Joe Biden signed into law an omnibus spending bill, which includes the Hyde Amendment, a long-standing precedent which prevents taxpayer dollars from funding abortions. We speak to Representative Ashley Hinson of Iowa, who fought for the inclusion of this pro-life provision. Stopping discriminatory abortions. The governor of West Virginia signs a new law barring parents from seeking an abortion due to a Down syndrome diagnosis. West Virginia delegate Kayla Kessinger joins us to discuss the pro-life law and tells us why she sponsored the Unborn Child with Down Syndrome Protection and Education Act. Pro-Life Initiative. Seminarians from St. John Paul II Seminary in Washington, D.C. launched their second annual Pro-Life Push, an initiative to promote a culture of life and raise funds for the Sisters of Life. Organizers of the Pro-Life Challenge join us to speak about how they are doing their part to end abortion. Confirmation hearings are underway for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who has been nominated by President Biden to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court. When questioned about Roe v. Wade, Jackson claimed she believes that Roe v. Wade is the settled law of the land. When pressed further, she did not provide any other specifics on the issue. Roe and Casey are the settled law of the Supreme Court concerning the right to terminate a woman's pregnancy. Um, they have established a framework that the court has reaffirmed. And in order to revisit, as Justice Barrett said, uh, the Supreme Court looks at various factors. Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett have in the past also ceded that Roe is indeed the current law, but also noted that this reality does not change the fact that new cases that reach their desk could supersede past decisions. Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee questioned Jackson on her thoughts concerning the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization court case. And you've talked about following precedent and what the court decides. So do you commit to respecting the court's decision if it rules that Roe was wrongly decided and that the issue of abortion should be sent back to the states. Senator, whatever the Supreme Court decides in Dobbs will be the precedent of the Supreme Court. It will be uh, worthy of respect in the sense that it is the precedent, and um, I commit to treating it as I would okay. any other precedent. Blackburn also asked Judge Jackson to define the word woman, a request Judge Jackson refused, saying, quote, I'm not a biologist. Jackson has in the past served as legal counsel for several pro-abortion groups and supported a law that denied pro-life people in Massachusetts the ability to pray and carry out sidewalk counseling in front of abortion clinics. And President Joe Biden has signed a $1.5 trillion spending bill to fund the government this year. Of that funding, the Biden administration will funnel $13.6 billion to Ukraine. On the abortion front, the massive package includes the Hyde Amendment and similar riders, which stop the flow of taxpayer dollars to fund abortion. However, some pro-life members of Congress are saying that Hyde is not enough, and uncovered provisions in the bill, such as Title X funding, which continues to funnel money to groups like Planned Parenthood, and support for pro-abortion organizations such as the United Nations Population Fund.
Joining me now to discuss is Representative Ashley Hinson from Iowa's 1st District. She serves on the Appropriations Committee in Congress. Representative Hinson, thanks for joining us. I understand that you played a key role in ensuring that the Hyde Amendment was included in the spending package. Could you tell us what that process was like from start to finish? Yeah. Well, um, Prudence, first of all, thanks for having me on to talk about this very important pro-life issue. Uh, taxpayer dollars should never fund abortion, period. And I'm very passionate about that. Um, I'm one of three Republican women on the House Appropriations Committee. So it was really important that I added and elevated my voice and Iowans' voices to fight for the Hyde Amendment, for the Dornan Amendment, for the Helms Amendment. Um, so uh, last summer, we obviously were dealing with the initial spending package bills. Um, and the Democrats, for the first time in 40 years removed those pro-life writers from those bills. So we fought in committee. We spoke out. We talked about how many babies Hyde has saved, millions of babies, um, more than 40,000 babies in Iowa have been saved because of Hyde. And so we told those stories. We put the pressure on our colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Um, and it took several months, but that pressure campaign worked. And I'm very proud that uh, the bill, the, the, the package deal, the omnibus deal did include those Hyde amendment writers and the pro-life writers that we fought so hard to include. Yes, Hyde and those riders are so important, but I want to get into the weeds just a little bit here. Some of your Republican colleagues are saying that Hyde isn't enough. What are your thoughts on the fact that this bill still sends money to Planned Parenthood via Title X and could potentially fund abortions overseas via groups like the United Nations Population Fund? Right. We need to do everything we can to highlight cases where uh, money is going places we fundamentally disagree with, and that's one of our jobs on the Appropriations Committee. Uh, this is not the bill we would have written. I know that. Um, I'm unapologetically pro-life, and I think we need to be doing everything we can to support our states who continue to pass legislation to stand up for taxpayers and stand up for life. Uh, the voiceless need to have a voice in Congress, and so that's where um, myself and my colleagues are are fighting that fight, because it is an assault on life. and. Uh, the way I see it, if you don't have life, you can't have all of the other things that we rely on in this country. And so it's it's fundamental that we fight for that at a bare minimum. I could not agree with you more. And I also noticed when looking at the larger omnibus package that you worked to ensure that the Violence Against Women Act was included um, as a provision. Now, we've heard reports from some conservative groups that this measure, measure could actually put women in more danger in some instances, forcing them, for example, to share intimate spaces with biological men, among other things. What are your thoughts on that? Well, obviously, we want to do everything we can to support um, victims of violence and protect women because, um, you know, when they find themselves in a terrible situation like uh, many victims of violence do, uh, we need to make sure we're supporting the organizations that give them a safe place to go. I'm very passionate about that. So I think what we what we passed is a good step in, in clean reauthorization of VAWA, uh, took out a lot of the um, provisions that would have, um, you know, po possibly uh, violated Second Amendment rights, which I know is a huge concern for people as well. But we absolutely want to make sure people, victims of violence, victims of um, domestic violence, aren't put in situations where they are uncomfortable. Um, any organization that does that, um, I think, should be ashamed of, of putting a victim in a room with anyone who makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, the psychology that's involved here is critical to making sure victims can recover. And we want to give victims the chance to, to recover and live a normal life. Um, and so that's my goal in supporting uh, the Violence Against Women Act, making sure that people have the tools to recover, the resources to recover, um, and victims of crime are able to be made whole again. Mm, certainly. And now that the spending bill has been signed into law, what's the focus in appropriations? Any other pro-abortion threats we should be aware of right now? 
Yeah, well, there are always uh, threats to life. And I think that's uh, the thing. We can't rest easy. Um, we won this battle, but we still have a war that we're fighting to make sure we're standing up for life consistently. And so um, that's what you'll see our Republican conference doing in Washington, D.C., fighting to make sure these protections are included, fighting to make sure that we're not sending money overseas to enable abortions or forced sterilizations, which is a huge concern. Um, I was one of the people who introduced that amendment last year. So I'm hopeful we won't have to have that same fight again this year. But um, I wouldn't put anything past the Democrats who control Congress right now. It's very clear that they are ready to continue their assault on life, and we have to stand up for the unborn. Mm. Well, thank you for tracking all of this and for standing up for life. Representative Ashley Henson from Iowa's 1st District. A new proposed bill in Missouri seeks to make it illegal to aid or abet women in Missouri from seeking an abortion out of state. The bill was introduced by State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman, who says she is trying to protect Missourians at all costs from the dangers of abortion. The bill, if passed, would allow for civil enforcement. That is, residents of Missouri could file suit against anyone helping a woman obtain an out-of-state abortion that has been deemed illegal within state limits. The proposed bill would also ban pro-abortion organizations from financing a woman's abortion. And joining us now is State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman. Mary Elizabeth, thank you for joining us. Could you share with us some more specifics about this bill? What does it mean exactly to aid and abet an abortion procedure? And what would someone need to do in order to fall into this category of people? Yeah, thanks for having me. So Missouri is in many ways living in a post-Roe world. We're all very hopeful that the Dobbs decision is going to come down in the right way. Um, but in Missouri, we had 153 abortions that took place in the state last year. Now, that's 153 too many. But what's happened is there's a mega clinic right on the border of in Illinois where there's advertising and call centers that are taking place, and over 10,000 Missouri women have obtained an abortion at that clinic since it's opened in 2019. So this really is a national fight that we need to make sure that we're focusing on, and every state is doing everything it can to protect the women of their state. So right now what happens in Missouri is if you call the last Planned Parenthood that's open in the state and you try to book an appointment, they actually book you an appointment in Illinois and then they send a driver to pick you up um, and drive you to that clinic if you don't have transportation. In some instances, they'll pay for your hotel. Um, so this is this law is aimed at, like other, um, you know, other criminal activity, trying to limit what can be done to further that criminal activity. So if it's somebody obtaining an abortion in the state or out of the state, we, the state still has a real strong interest in protecting the lives of the unborn here in Missouri. So there's a lot of jurisdictional issues, a lot of freedoms under the First Amendment um, of speech as well as of assembly and movement. And so this would in no way affect those. I think some of the mainstream media has, has classified this incorrectly, but it's really aimed at when you drive down I-70, which is the main corridor that connects Kansas City to St. Louis, you see billboards that say, come to Illinois where abortion is readily available. Under my law, those, those billboards would be illegal. Um, states have broad authority to enforce you know, um, commercial speech, as well as helping any, limiting anybody who's trying to evade the laws of the state. So that's really what this is aiming at doing, is trying to use those Texas-style enforcement mechanisms um, to protect the unborn here in the state. Mm, I see. And it seems to make a lot of sense in a strongly pro-life state like Missouri. How do you respond, though, to critics who say this bill is extreme and unconstitutional, that if this enforcement mechanism could be um, applied to other issues, it would become dangerous? 
Well, so those are the same things that were lobbied against what happened in Texas with their enforcement mechanism, people who said we shouldn't have private enforcement. But in fact, that hasn't happened. Texas has not turned into the Wild West, maybe any more than it already has. Mm -hmm. um, it is, uh, people follow the laws of the state. And so what will happen in Missouri if my provision becomes law is the same thing that happened in Texas, which is the providers will follow the laws, which will result in protecting and saving the lives of the unborn. Mm. I, I just would also like to point out that every single pro-life protection that has been put into law since Roe v. Wade was passed has been argued that it was unconstitutional or illegal. And we're standing right at the doorway of having that horrible decision overturned and having the decision of whether a state has abortion rights or is pro-life returned to the states. And so um, I think it's a little bit of a false argument and, or, and um, yeah, it just does, isn't very convincing to me. Mm. And I want to get your thoughts on another piece of Missouri news. Planned Parenthood is currently suing Missouri's Department of Social Services because they are limiting Medicaid funds for abortion businesses. Now, Planned Parenthood is claiming this is illegal, but could you explain what's going on here? Yeah, so what's happened is Missouri has every year that I've served voted to defund Planned Parenthood, and the courts have repeatedly overturned that when the when Planned Parenthood has sued. But there is, um, every time they've overturned it, they've given us more guidance of ways to draft that language in a way that would be upheld. And we've taken yet one more attempt to try to make sure taxpayer dollars, just like at the federal government, are protected from funding abortion, that Missouri's taxpayer dollars are protected from paying for abortion. And I think that um, this language that we're using in this latest attempt has been used in other states, and I feel really hopeful that this is going to be able to be enforced. So um, again, a lot of the things that are often said about what's happening in pro-life states and the work that we're doing to save the unborn is intentionally distorted. Yes. Well, State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia just signed a new law that stops discriminatory abortions based solely on a diagnosis of Down syndrome. Currently, more than two-thirds of people diagnosed with Down syndrome in the United States are aborted. This new law in West Virginia stops discriminatory abortions based solely on a disability. The law also requires healthcare professionals to assist parents of children diagnosed with a disability in utero by providing them with educational resources. Joining me now to discuss is West Virginia Delegate Kayla Kessinger. She serves as the assistant majority leader in the House of Delegates and is the sponsor of the new Down syndrome law. Kayla, thanks for joining us. I know that you've always prioritized life throughout your time in office. Tell us why and share with us the inspiration for this particular law. Sure. So when I first got involved in politics at 13 years old, it was actually in the pro-life movement. Um, the Lord really just gave me a burden for the unborn and their mothers. And um, I started to just get involved sort of as a political activist, as a teenager with my petitions, um, trying to make sure that West Virginia protected life. Um, because prior to 2015, actually in West Virginia, there were very few regulations and restrictions on abortion. In fact, um, you could have an abortion all the way up until the moment of birth in West Virginia until 2015. And so when I ran for the House of Delegates um, in 2014, um, my first legislative session, um, one of the first votes that we cast was actually the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, banning abortions at 20 weeks. And that, to me, was just one of those moments where it was like, 
this is why I ran, this is what, I, this is what I'm here for. Um, and subsequently after passing that significant piece of legislation, we passed, um, the state uh, voted for um, amendment one um, in 2018, prohibiting taxpayer funded abortions, which was another huge win um, for us in the life movement. And then this year we were able to pass um, the unborn child with Down syndrome protection and education act. And so this is an issue that's incredibly important to me, incredibly important to the people of West Virginia, um, because in West, in West Virginia, our state motto is that mountaineers are always free and you can't truly be free unless you are free to have your right to life. Mm. And so it's something that we are very, very proud of um, in West Virginia. We've been able to accomplish so much in this, in this space. Yes, your leadership is so inspiring. And in addition to serving as a delegate, you've taken on a new role with her plan. Can you tell us about your path to be a part of that project? Absolutely. So last October, um, I was able to apply for a job with Susan B. Anthony List and this initiative that they've um, implemented called Her Plan. Um, they actually chose West Virginia as one of the first four states um, to implement this program in. And as a mountaineer, as a, as a West Virginia girl, that to me was um, just so incredibly important because most national organizations, to them, West Virginia is nothing more than a footnote. Um, and yet Susan B. Anthony List, Marjorie Dannenfelser, and the leadership at SBA List um, saw that West Virginia was a leader when it came to um, protecting life, protecting the life of um, unborn children and their mothers um, and chose to sort of start this this initiative for her plan in West Virginia as one of their first four states. And um, I'm just so excited that I get to play um, a small part in this. Mm. And I've heard that you are not seeking re-election to the House of Delegates this year. What brought you to that decision? So this was probably the most difficult decision I've ever made in my life, um, probably even more difficult than running for the first time um, <laughs> eight years ago. Um, it was really a year of prayer and just seeking the Lord and asking for guidance. Um, and really just over the last um, few months, I really felt like the Lord was showing me that this season of my life is coming to a close. I believe that the seats we hold are not meant to be held by the same person forever. As conservatives, we talk about term limits and things like that. And I think it's come to sort of pass the baton. And what's so beautiful is that this passion that the Lord has given me um, for moms and babies, um, the way that I've been fighting for them is going to change, but I still get to continue to fight for them. Um, working with her plan to implement um, a pregnant life network in West Virginia so that every woman has the resources she needs to empower her to choose life. We don't believe that any woman backs into a corner that abortion is her only option, but that we as a society, as, as a life-affirming community, um, should come behind her and support her um, and empower her to choose life for herself and for her baby. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for being a leader in West Virginia. Assistant Majority Leader Kayla Kessinger. Thank you, Prudence. Coming up, I speak out against Planned Parenthood's latest stunt to promote abortion and contraception. Plus, seminarians in Washington, D.C. join us to share about their pro-life initiative, which involves push-ups for the pro-life cause. They tell us all about it next. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. 
Citigroup has recently joined a long list of companies offering pro-abortion incentives to its employees. The investment banking company says they will cover the costs for any U.S. staff member who travels outside of their home state to get an abortion. This extreme incentive comes as the organization seeks to push back against common-sense limits on abortion in states like Texas and Mississippi, which protect babies from painful late-term abortions. A Planned Parenthood condom truck is driving around Texas disguised as an ice cream truck. That is this week's Speak Out segment. Planned Parenthood is bashing Texas's new pro-life law in a particularly disgusting way by handing out condoms and Planned Parenthood propaganda off of what at first glance appears to be an ice cream truck. Look a little closer and you'll notice that this truck isn't selling sweet treats. It's feeding people abortion propaganda. The truck is handing out condoms, materials containing pro-abortion information, and promoting the bans off my body messaging with stickers and other merchandise. Planned Parenthood's president, Alexis McGill Johnson, in a tweet described Texas's heartbeat law, which saves hundreds of lives every day, as a, quote, cold-hearted policy in an attempt to be pithy. The truck was spotted at a recent conference in Texas where President Biden's cabinet members, such as Pete Buttigieg, were speakers. It's ironic that Planned Parenthood, an organization proven to kill babies and prey on impressionable young girls, would use an ice cream truck to further prey on people and promote access to dangerous abortions and contraceptives. It's proof that Planned Parenthood strongly opposes the Texas heartbeat law, which has saved approximately 75 babies from abortion every single day. This truck is another desperate attempt to persuade people to believe the abortion industry's lies. Seminarians from John Paul II Seminary in Washington, D.C. have launched their second annual Pro-Life Push. The Pro-Life Initiative seeks to promote a culture of life and push against an increasingly pro-abortion society. Here's how it works. Anyone can challenge a friend to do as many push-ups as they can in a minute. Each person who challenges a friend to the Pro-Life Push is asked to consider donating a dollar or more per push-up. The money goes to the Sisters of Life, whose mission is to protect and enhance the sacredness of every human life by ministering to women facing unplanned pregnancies. And joining me now are Ben Orsler and John Paul Shanahan, seminarians from St. John Paul II Seminary in Washington, D.C. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Ben, I want to start with you. Tell us about the pro-life push. Where did the idea originate, and how long does the challenge last? Absolutely, yeah. So thank you so much, Prudence, again, for having us on. This is a great opportunity. And uh, last year, the guys on the uh, pro-life committee for the St. John Paul II Seminary they kind of came up with this idea uh, amongst themselves of uh, even just from praying outside the Planned Parenthood in D.C., they realized that they want to take a step further and to offer up just that small mortification um, is really push against that culture of death that is out there today. Right. And uh, just a little bit of excitement challenging each other to uh, get down, do some push-ups, and uh, really it's kind of caught on. And we're doing it now, uh, just a minute of push-ups challenging each other, and we're doing it until the end of the 40 Days for Life which is April 10th. Mm, I love it. And John Paul, tell me about the overall goal. How much money have you raised for the Sisters of Life and how much are you aiming to, to get to this year? Yeah, thank you for having us. And it's a great joy to be here, Prudence. <laughs> um, so last year we earned over $5,000 wow. for the Sisters of Life. It was such a great, great success and a great joy. Um, but this year, we're kind of focusing more on the push-ups. So we have this push bar. Now we're, we're trying to get 100,000 push-ups for life out of mortification, out of love, um, but we still want to focus on donation as well mm. uh, for the sisters who we love and we, we want to support uh, their mission of 
helping women in crisis pregnancies. Yes, that's beautiful. And Ben, is there a certain hashtag that you all are using? How can people follow the pro-life push on social media? I know I've been seeing lots of videos circulating. But. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we have a website, uh, pro-life uh, push, and then we also have a Twitter page. And so you can follow us with the hashtag pro-life uh, push. And uh, you can upload your own videos. You can go on our website and uh, upload your, your push-up count or whatnot there. So. Uh, there's also a video that we have, a little promo video as well. That's great. That's great. And John Paul, contributions for this challenge are going to the Sisters of Life. Could you talk about how the seminary has worked together with the Sisters of Life to really foster a culture of life? So every Saturday we go on the sidewalk uh, and join the Sisters of Life in prayer mm -hmm. and mortification for all the women and fathers that go into the Planned Parenthood. And through their witness, we've been really inspired to fight with them and join with them in the fight for life. Mm. Uh, so their witness alone has been enough for us to want to join them in that fight and, mm. and uh, raise money for their mission. Yes, the work that they're doing is so important. They're so inspiring. Now, I thought it would be fun if we uh, challenged a couple of people <laughs> to the pro-life push right here on the show today. So I would like to nominate my friend Helena Briggs, missionary with Catholic Sports, to the pro-life push. Um, how about you, Ben? Who would you like to nominate? I would like to nominate uh, Archbishop William Laurie, Archbishop of Baltimore, to the pro-life push. <laughs> love it, love it. And John Paul? Uh, maybe not Archbishop Laurie, but <laughs> I challenge Father Mike Schmitz to the pro-life push. Let's see how many you can do in a minute. All there right, fantastic. Well, Ben Orsler and John Paul Shanahan, thanks for joining us. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.